Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you're listening to Gaelic Games Europe's twice-weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. A very warm welcome to This Sunday's Game. Well, we've just been confirmed that we'll have a December delight in 2020, but before we look at that, we're going to go to Dublin to speak with a frontline hero, Dr. Anthony O'Connor. He'll tell us just why he is so proud of the GAA and what to expect and what we should be doing right in this time of COVID. But first, a bit of news. Promoting his YouTube documentary series, The Toughest Summer, Kilkenny star TJ Reid spoke about the difficulties faced not just by athletes, but by small business owners. He said that I'm after losing probably 20 to 30% of my membership due to COVID. I have a big gym facility, big rent and big rates to pay. We're doing our best and all business around there have spent money getting the doors reopened and doing as much as we can to give people the confidence to come back in. As GAA clubs from Carlow, Dublin, Cork, Mayo, Donegal and Derry to name just a few closing their doors due to COVID scares, many leading figures in the GAA find the caution completely understandable. Speaking last week, Tom Dempsey, the All-Ireland winner with Wexford, said that we have to go with what the guidelines are giving us here. I must say, Wexford County Board are doing great work well in trying to live stream the games and local radio is transmitting a lot of the games so i think the GAA are doing as much as they can and at the end of the day with the situation that's in it we have to go by guidelines it's not ideal but it is ideal to have our young players back on the pitch he also added that the enemy really is at everyone's gate not just the GAA the dates of the four All-Ireland senior finals have been confirmed on Saturday 12th of December the Camogie champions will be crowned while one day later on Sunday the 13th it'll be the turn of the hurlers one week later on the 19th the All-Ireland senior football final will take place and one day later the ladies football champions will also take their place in Crow Park just as President Donald Trump tells Americans to wear face masks and his supporter, rich kid rapper Kanye West, registers to run for president in November, American football is in a mess. With 59 players testing positive for COVID even before they return to training camp and rosters cut from 90 to 80 with no pre-season, protocols and safety has not been to the fore. The Football Players Union and the league have reportedly agreed to daily coronavirus testing for all players during the first two weeks of camp, forgoing any testing of performance-enhancing drugs. And of course, they said that the testing protocols we agreed to are one critical factor that will help us return to work safely and gives us the best chance to play and finish the season. Many stars of the game are coming out in protests and refusing to report to camp. And finally, where 30 years ago the hurlers of Tipperary faced off against the All-Stars and the Dublin footballers played Tyrone. The former Skydome, now known as the Rogers Centre, will not be available for the Toronto Blue Jays baseball team. With the Major League Baseball already back in their summer camp, the Blue Jays will not be allowed to play at home due to local restrictions. The Toronto government and Canadian government have said that they will not allow any foreign teams travel into Toronto to play matches. Of course, yesterday one of Ireland's sports legends, Jack Charlton, was laid to rest. So listen up at the end of the show for a small This Sunday's Game tribute. And now we go to Dublin to speak with Dr. Anthony O'Connor. 
I am delighted to welcome on to this Sunday's game somebody who I, I have to say I am a little bit in a, a bit of hero worship right now because he speaks sense not some of the time but all of the time and always very very interesting um, and highly intelligent. Dr. Anthony O'Connor, a very warm welcome to our show. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. Glad to now, be here. Asking, uh, in light of everything that's happening with the GAA in terms of that um, you know, stage four uh, of the COVID sort of path to uh, normality, shall we say, uh, has been delayed. So less than 200 uh, spectators allowed at GAA games. GAA was hoping for 500 um, by the middle of August. Um, is that wise even just even thinking about GEA? Because we do see clubs starting to close down, even in Cork as well. Um, what's your view on that about opening up for games or for training? Well, I do think it's wise. And I think, I think what's been done so far has been sensible and has been proportionate. Um, I'm involved with a club myself here at Underage and we're bringing the girls back in, on, on Wednesday week. Um, I think, you know, people in, in, in Ireland are at various stages of acceptance around the issue of COVID. And, you know, sort of where I'm at personally is like, this might be something that we have to live alongside for three, four, five years, you know, and that's possible, you know, hopefully we get a vaccine, we get better treatments, hopefully it'll blow itself out to a little bit, but there's no guarantees with any of this. And the idea that, you know, we, we have very stringent lockdown until such time as we have a, a, a vaccine, or until such time as we have very effective treatments. Um, I, I, I don't buy into that. And I think, you know, if we suspend activity across the association for five years, the association will go under. Similar to most, you know, I, I, I'm, we're also members of a rugby club here in Dublin, and we got an email there. They asked me for an extra hundred quid from every member because you know clubs have to survive. They've got to pay their rent. They've got expenses to to to, to meet. So I think what's been done is very sensible. It's very proportionate. And whenever in any any sort of easing of restrictions anywhere in the world. There is a degree of dipping your toe in the water and, and, and seeing what happens. Now, I see a lot of clubs have, have suspended activity, and that's a very natural reaction when there's any sort of a, a, a sniff of, of, of COVID. But on the other hand, yeah, I, I, I've, I've heard some clubs say, well, we don't want to be responsible for anybody getting it on account for training session. But the way I would look at that is they would be, if, if somebody contracted it because they'd trained with somebody who'd come, who'd come into contact with somebody, I don't think that's caused by the GA any more than it's caused by the bus company that drops you off on your way home from work, you know. And, and I, I, I do think there's a, a bit of proportion has to be brought into it. it, it again, it's, 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 it's just common sense. It's just being sensible. Um, we, I think they were right to maybe hang behind a couple of the other sporting organisations. Like you look at some of the big soccer and rugby leagues now and, and, and they're booting up again. So we're sort of able to get some data about transmission within, you know, playing sort of settings. And as, as far as what we do know, about the virus it doesn't like being outside you know um it, it's a virus that seems to spread a lot more indoors personally speaking for me i'd be much more comfortable being out in the field with 35 people training than i would be being in uh, let's say being inside in a pub with eight or nine people you know but they're opening up a little bit as well and they're having some of their restrictions seized. and it's right that we do that because we may have to live alongside that the key to the whole thing though is vigilance and if it looks like what we're doing is wrong we have to recognize that early and respond to it with no sort of pride and not wanting to be seen as rowing back if the, if the data tells us we've gotten it wrong except we've got it wrong because we might because nobody's ever faced this before in living memory so having to say oh hands up i think we got it wrong because for example here in moscow really literally we went from being the most tightly controlled city 
to overnight because of a, a disagreement between the city mayor and the Russian prime minister, he basically went, okay, fine, open up, see what happens. Um, and now he's doubling down saying there won't be, there, no, there's no such thing as a second wave. No, it's okay. Things are going down, but numbers are staying high every single day. I mean, they're not dropping in any way. We're still getting over 600 per day. Bigger population, of course. Um, at what point do we have to say, okay, let's reassess and accept that, for example, the horrible thing that Boris Johnson came up with, the herd, herd immunity. At what point do we have to say, look, we, we really can't handle this. We have to sort of take the nuclear option. Well, I think we've seen what works, you know, and, and, and that's one of the things is that other societies, other countries have gone through this, this before us. And the sort of metrics to be looking for really are sort of five-day trends, hospitalizations. You know, there isn't, you know, the raw case number itself might just mean you're getting better at testing, you know. Um, it, it's, it's, it's an overall picture that has to be looked at. The five-day trend is a particularly important one. Obviously, the R number, he's gotten a bit worried that the R number is going to go up. But of course, it's going up because if... The R number is going to be totally different if everybody's at home versus if everybody's going to work. I mean, that just stands to reason. It's, it, what happens next is the most important thing. In Ireland, still, we're, 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 you know, I think we're still the lowest in Western Europe for the last sort of two weeks. So we're doing okay on that front. You know, people still have to be sensible. Um, and I think that applies in, 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 in other jurisdictions as well. I think people want certainty. And people, I think one thing COVID has done is it has completely shattered any illusion of autonomy that we had in our lives. You know, we were at the mercy of so many other things. And people want certainty. And people often come up to me and say, well, you know, where do you think you'll be in eight months' time? And to which I say, nobody had heard of this disease eight months ago. How, how can we predict where we're going to be in eight months' time? You know, so I think we just have to be flexible. And I think we have to, it, it, it may be a matter of even sort of day by day thinking, looking at looking at trends, looking at numbers. and, and but But I do think, you know, one area that I worry about is we've sort of created a bit of a culture in media and society at the moment where it seems a great shame for somebody to admit they're wrong or climb down or something. Oh, he's, he's done a U-turn or he's flip-flopped. Whereas actually in this instance, we really, the message really has to be, we've never been here before. This is new. There is no manual for this. There is no roadmap for this. We can guess based on what we've seen over the last three or four months. But like, you know, I think politicians really should feel comfortable to say, yeah, got this one wrong. Let's tighten back up a bit. And I think we probably all have a part to play in that really is, as, 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 as citizens, you know. That's, that's a great point in kind of like putting, you know, I said putting the hands up and say, listen, okay, we miscalculated, so we have to change it. Like we saw in Leicester, for example, yeah. where they kind of went, oh, we have a little bit of a spike, we're going to shut down. How dangerous is this bloody thing? Well, I suppose, you know, there is a danger to the individual and there's a danger to, to broader society. I worked on the COVID ward in, in one of the largest hospitals in Dublin for um, a couple of months. I was running the COVID ward. It obviously has particular danger for older adults, people who've got bad lungs to begin with. But I've seen young people, teenagers coming in and, and going from being a teenager with what looks like just a nasty chest infection to being almost at death's door within hours sometimes. I don't say that to frighten people, more to say that actually, you know, it can get very, very serious even when it's not expected to do so. But those cases are a minority. And most of the patients that we see getting very, very sick are people who are, you know, maybe unfortunately might be older adults, may have other, other, other medical problems. Heart trouble seems to be a big one. High blood pressure seems to be a big one. Scarred lungs or bad lungs or emphysema or something like that. So, you know, I think we have to respect this as something that even can cause, you know, huge illness in 
seemingly young, healthy people. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that is rare. Just just as, as, as an aside, like if, if, if there was no such thing as COVID in my job in the hospital I, I, I work in, probably at least once every sort of six or seven weeks, we would see a young person who's healthy unexpectedly getting very, very, very sick with a type of chest infection anyway. So, you know, these things do happen, I guess. Um, but I mean, that's the danger to the individual. The danger to society is, is, is massive as well, because, you know, obviously there's a huge economic impact of it. There's a huge social impact of it. I mean, our children haven't been in proximity to a lot of other children for four or five months now. You know, there's going to be an educational deficit, um, manufacturing has been hit, all of these things. So there's a huge, huge, huge societal danger um, from it as well. And, and, and it really needs, a, a, governments need to approach it as a whole. And that's kind of one thing that maybe I, I worry about a little bit is, I'm not sure what it's like where you are, but sometimes in Ireland, okay, we're talking about schools this week and it's all school, school, schools for four days. And then the next thing is, you know, whatever the next issue is. And it's almost like, as I said, when I, when I, when I train my, my under seven, my under seven girls camogie team, they all follow the ball. And it's kind of like something we do that in Ireland as well. We all, we all follow the ball and the ball this week is schools and the ball next week might be the border and the ball in another week is the pubs. Whereas actually, you know, as, as my ground from the WHO, who's a great Irishman, says, um, you know, the, the, key to, the key to it is suppressing community transmission of COVID across the community and you know you can't just say well we're going to do the schools piece now what you do is you get transmission down to a very very low level and then you can you you, you, you your options are are much much wider uh, when when people were told you know stay at home and so on and so forth it was looking at the community base and for example just uh, uh, here in russia if we were told best practice uh, Moscow locked down, so you couldn't move. Most people used the metro or buses, or for example, um, and they couldn't without a special pass. Now, of course, people got around it, but it was still very, very tightly controlled. But then outside in the regions, it could be a city in Siberia, they were sitting out drinking coffee in cafes. So, mm -hmm. you know, and then suddenly when everything opens up, they start moving between cities and it goes again. How much of a role has the media played in either overhyping or misinforming us, Anthony? I think in general, the media in Ireland, at least, I think has performed very well, has been very responsible. I think some journalists, have, like Richard Chambers from, from, from Virgin Media, has done brilliantly. And some of the RT guys, um, you know, uh, George Lee and Fergie Bowers, done brilliantly. Um, you know, I think in general, they've all been very, very responsible. And, you know, even the sort of the, the big magazine shows like Matt Cooper and Ivan Yates, they've had on good experts and Mary Wilson show on RT. They've had on good experts. And, you know, strangely, you now coming to Ireland, I mean, anybody now could probably mention two or three infectious diseases, doctors and uh, public health people where, you know, and, and it's almost like a minor form of celebrity now for some, not, not that they wanted it or ever wanted to trust upon them, but it, 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 it's how it is. And, and the media have been very, very responsible. You know, some of the, you see some of the sort of bogus stuff that's been hyped up in the States um, and, 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 and none of that has, has, has come in and they haven't really given a platform to people who've been making all sorts of wacky claims about where it comes from. So I think the media has done very, very well so far. Um, I think, but I, I suppose if I did have one message, it would be that, that, you know, make it okay, I suppose, for politicians to um, say the wrong and, 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 and to roll back on something because that's what we might need to do. What has been the most outlandish? I mean, this is very far away from talking about GAA or, or sport or anything. What's been the most outlandish you've heard, uh, like, in, in your sphere? What, what has been sort of made you kind of go, excuse me? 
going to strange strange, but the most outlandish things I've heard in this year have come from the President of the United States of America. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, no, this shouldn't be the case, you know. Um, but no, honestly, I think people in Ireland who I've met are generally very, very well informed about it. Um, I've heard some, you know, you hear some nonsense from, not to be naming names, but certain people who ran as independents in the election that didn't do very well, put it that way. And, and, and that sort of carry on outside the courts when they were in the middle of lockdown, was a hundred and gathered around the flag and that sort of thing. And, you know, that, that's up. It didn't get any traction. It wasn't sort of like, you know, sometimes when scientific issues are discussed on, on the television and the news programs, they'd have a genuine expert and they'd have somebody who's seen something on YouTube and they'd give them sort of false equivalents. And I think that didn't happen this time. I think the media were very responsible. They recognized this was different from, from previous situations. I think they've done very well. I think you have to give credit where it's due. And I think I, I'd be delighted with how the Irish media performed. I thought they were very, very good. No, that's, that is good to hear because I think in general in Europe, it's been a very, very solid message because, of course, we've been speaking with, of course, our members from around the continent, from 23 countries, and getting the same kind of feedback from whether it's Hungary, Bulgaria, Romania, or Sweden. Of course, they all have different ways to handle it, but again, the message is, is very similar. Has the GAA handled everything well? And what do you see as being the step-by-step? Uh, -step? We can't foresee the future. What's the step-by-step -step for the GAA? Um, should they be panicking that they can't have 500 games? Or should they say, look, okay, uh, let's just have 200 games and see where it goes from there? So I suppose what the GAA for me is, is, is its club and its community. And... Um, in our club in particular, they've done absolutely brilliantly throughout it. Uh, when the real lockdown was on and everybody over 70 had to cocoon, the club was bringing around food parcels, going to the chemist for, for people, um, running errands for, for people who had to cocoon. And that was absolutely fantastic. And all over the country, it was the same. It was the GA club that stood up as the backbone of the community. If you look at the national response, we were setting up testing centres. The first one was in Croke Park. There was one in Parky Cueve. There was one in other stadiums dotted around the country. So that is, for me, that is by far and away the most important element of the GA's response and they carried it out to perfection I think there's huge credit due to them and, and, and the organization the association really did really did well and I'm very proud proud to be a member of it my own club um, our chairman was in touch with me very very regularly kind of and we tic-tacked on the medical side of things and I, I think the way return to play has been handled I mean again I, I can't stress enough this is all new and there's no there, there I, I hate being critical of people because there's no roadmap for this but you know just just from a sort of a personal perspective I thought that maybe some when they started off saying um, there was a message once that there'd be no G8 there was a vaccine for COVID or the, you know you can't really say that because you don't know when that's coming you know but look it was a new situation everybody was scared you know for me I, I was a little surprised that they at, at the sequencing I thought they would bring back county before club it seemed to make more sense to me because the counties have big medical infrastructures behind them um, they're very young very very fit very healthy people who God forbid if they did get COVID would be highly unlikely to have any complications be easy to track as well you know if, if there was if, if there had been an outbreak um, they're all wearing GPS things I suppose you know, but the thing that I would really be disappointed at is reports that certain play, certain teams and counties and clubs trained during the lockdown. And for me, I think the absolute book should be thrown at them. You know, the whole county country was 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 locked down. People couldn't see their parents. People couldn't bring their children to school. People couldn't do anything. And 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 you know, it, it, there is a little bit of a problem with the cult of the manager. And 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 
you know, people thinking that what they do as senior in the county GA players and managers is important. It is the most important of the not important things. But like the idea that people were were training and in some cases using, you know, military installations and, and schools to, to pitches to train on, like public land, public property, while the country was locked down, I think the GA should have been extremely harsh. But instead, they were on the Sunday game saying, well, you know, we don't think we'll be imposing penalties, you know, and... To me, you know, if I could change one thing about the GA, I think I'd like rules to stick a bit better. And I think I'd like to see a bit more of a sanction for things like that, because that, that to me was extremely irresponsible, uh, the, the people who engaged in that. But I mean, look, it's the culture that we've, we've, we've arrived at over the last few years, where there's an appeal for everything. There's another body to appeal to. And any fellow who gets sent off in, in an all Ireland semi-final is not that sort of player, that sort of thing. And, you know, there's a general sort of culture of being a little bit fast and loose with the rules. And I, I, I'd like to see that change. But certainly for me, that should not be indulged at all about what happened during the lockdown. And teams trained there should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, I mean, I fully agree on that. I highlighted actually quite a few times on both Capital Sports and on here that's this on this game was that, you know, it's kind of spitting in the face of not just the frontline staff, but people who genuinely were worried about health or trying to obey the rules and you'd have pundits stand up and go, oh, well, you know, it's very, very bad. They shouldn't be doing it. And yet they knew what was happening on their own watch, on their own, let's say, a school where they were principal and they just allowed county training to happen. It's like, no, you, you know, you, you can't talk out both sides of your, well, backside, yeah. shall we say. So <laughs> you have to take a stand. Yeah. Agree with you on that. Um, fitness all went to seed and for one more year we had a championship with lads weed, weed with big fat arses wheezing around the pitches <laughs> you go listen I, I, I grew up in the 80s you know <laughs> the, 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 there was an amazing thing pointed out to me by a call the um, lack uh, in England for example of yellow cards in football matches and even red cards because there's not the crowd there to shout there's not the crowd there to roar um and encourage the referee or influence the referee. So I'm wondering, is that going to be the same in GAA as well? Like, you know, so like, you know, referees in Wicklow won't be scared of being thrown into the boot of a Renault, you know, so it's, uh, you know. They have, have to watch their language a bit as well, won't they? Because they'll be heard if they're, you know, if the player players are using bad language to the referee, it's all going to come out pick, picked up in the microphones probably, isn't it? So. And do you know what? It's about time. It's about time because if rugby can do it and rugby can do it well, cricket can yeah. do it. GA and football can do it very, very well. So we, we're good enough. Um, and before we go away, uh, you are, of course, based up in Dublin, um, but a proud Cork man. And of course, there is a kind of a triumvirate right now that you pointed out. Leeds win the second tier in England and are promoted. Liverpool win the top tier and, of course, are, are champions of England. And now something, the, the, the third part of this puzzle is Cork winning in All-Ireland. How likely is that to happen this year? Cork went into the double. That's what double. happened in 1992. <laughs> I, th I think this year is going to be possibly a bit of a lottery, you know. I think, you know, Cork have got Kerry first day in the football and it's it's straight knockout game in Parky Creeve. Who knows where the team's sort of heads and fitness are going to be at. So that's a huge opportunity for Cork to go on and make an All-Ireland semi-final or final, you know, as a team in, in development. But obviously Kerry be the hot favourites for it. Um, but uh, I suppose the hurling side of things then is very hard to predict. 
traditionally Cork were sort of a, always seen as a summer team. Cork, I don't think Cork won the National League for 22, 23 years or something like that. So, you know, quite how, how you know, Cork played kind of a fast, fast brand of hurling with light forwards, quite how they'll cope on pitches in November and December, who knows. But look, you know, it, it'll be just great to have it back. It's one of the things I was sort of thinking, you know, I was at work all day today, but sort of with a glorious day here. And it's the sort of day you'd expect to be hopping on a train and heading down to Hurlers or Killarney or something like that. And um, I think the next time that we can do that, have a, have, have a day, a sunny Sunday in Hurlers, I generally won't, genuinely won't really mind who wins. You know, get, get, get to have a point in the square and just, 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 it. I see that now, but, but when the time comes, I probably won't feel like that. But it's just, well, we need things like this in our society as well, because, you know, particularly for me, I, 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 I had a very different lockdown experience than most people because I was still going to work every day. I mean, every day. Uh, weekends and all so you know I didn't kind of get that sort of big cabin fever experience but you know, what you don't have then is the little thing to look forward to at the end of a hard week at work like going to a match or something like that and, and we need that uh, we all need that so uh, hopefully it'll be back as safe as possible as soon as possible. How important is GAA? I don't know my life without it. How important is it for you? It frames our. I mean, the, uh, the name. It, it comes back to the name of this this podcast. You know, yeah. like Sunday is 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 in the, Sunday in the summer in Ireland is is, is intercounty GA. For me, it's 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 a big hole in my life. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I the, the, I you know I, I I'm quite busy at work and a number of other interests, but like. The one hour of my week that's absolute guaranteed pleasure is out in the pitch with my seven-year-old girls on a Saturday morning and, and seeing them learn and, and just take a bit of joy in, in, in playing and making friends. I mean, that's huge. And sort of even as somebody coming to a new community in Dublin, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a ready-made network for you. And as I always say to our children that, you know, the, the, the best toy we ever got them is their Hurley because what it means is they can go anywhere in the world, even to Moscow. And there's um, there, there's a ready-made social network for them. There's there, there's an outlet for them. There's people looking out for you and looking after you. You know, um, made some of the best friends I have 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 through it. And it's a link back to those friends. There's people I only see at Cork matches these days that I've gone to school with and stuff. And 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 for me, like it's a massive hole. And it, you know, it, it, it's never changing. You know, like you, you would support a team in England. Like you know, I'm delighted to see Leeds United go up this weekend. Like, but um, you know. The players come from all different parts of the world, and you know the managers. When you, the great manager now leads, we're lucky. But previously, we a new manager every three months. But like when it's your home place, be it your club or your county, you know it's it, 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 it's got that resonance, and it really means something for you. And again, you know, what it came to me was how the GA actually performed for 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 its community, not even just alone its members. People who never darkened the door of a GA club were having dinners and prescriptions brought to them by GA members, and I was just so proud to be a part of an organisation that that stood up for its country like that and that responded when Ireland was in need. So I mean, there's so much good to reflect on in the COVID, out of what came out of COVID with the GA, and um, it, it really made us, I, I hope, think about, about about why it's so important for us to be part of it. On that very positive note, I will say thank you very much, Dr. Anthony O'Connor. And uh, listen, take care of yourself, take care of your family and your community. Thank you so much for your time this evening. All right, thanks. Goodbye to all of Moscow. <laughs> thanks, Alan. Thanks. Bye, Anthony. As the final whistle blows on this episode of This Sunday's Game, we'd like to thank Dr. Anthony O'Connor for his time and wish himself and his camogues the very best of luck for the rest of the season. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Yesterday, Jack Charlton was laid to rest in England. So, 
to store up a few memories of 1990 and glorious times in Irish football, we'd like to play out with one song that I think will raise a few hairs on the back of more than a few necks. So until Sunday, take care of yourselves and each other. We've qualified for the World Cup. Go and compete. Thank you.